Welcome to Frontlines, a weekly podcast produced by Legion Magazine, Canada's leading military history publication. Join us for stories and commentary on Canada's rich military past and present. I'm Stephen J. Thorne, and today we look at a remarkable woman who was one of the few female pilots who served the Allied effort in the Second World War. As a child, Stella Joyce Peterson Edwards was always pushing boundaries. She grew up in Kent, England, the third daughter of an Australian trader. And whether it was scaling walls, climbing trees, or riding her bicycle off into the countryside, Jay, as she became known to her compatriots, was an adventurer. I think I was always a little bit wild, admits Edwards. Now a century-old resident of Vancouver, and one of three surviving women pilots of the Air Transport Auxiliary, or the ATA. It was during one of those bicycle rides that she encountered a barnstormer in a field near her home, and the first seeds of the aviation bug were planted. She remembers watching her mother, who had earned a science degree from Oxford University in 1907, board a biplane and take off for Paris. She was captivated by the romance and adventure of it all. And she recalls the indelible impressions left by a series of record-breaking solo flights by Kiwi aviatrix Jean Batten, including England to Australia in 1934 and England to her native New Zealand in 1936. Hinkler, Kingsford Smith, Amy Johnson, Mollison, Scott, and now Jean Batten. Who shall say that the fame of the New Zealand girl will not surpass them all? At limb she is carried from her Percival Gull machine, numb with cramp, but her new record achieved. Five days, 18 hours and 14 minutes from Australia to England. Only a brief halt must suffice, and she is on her way again to Croydon. At 21, Edwards joined the National Air Women's Reserve, a small flight school which met on Sundays. She earned her pilot's license flying a tiger moth just like Batten's. Women were banned from flying in the Royal Air Force at the time, so Edwards spent the early years of the war working in childcare, then as a nurse. Aviators, however, were in demand, and not just for war fighting. The British government created the civilian ATA, made up largely of pilots deemed either too old or not physically fit enough for active military service. Physical handicaps were ignored if the pilot could do the job and there was no shortage of them in what was nicknamed the ancient and tattered airmen, including one-armed, one-legged, short-sighted, and one-eyed flyers. They were initially employed to transport mail and supplies for the British military, but their duties soon encompassed ferrying military aircraft in various states of airworthiness between factories, assembly plants, repair depots, maintenance units, scrapyards, and combat squadrons. Despite the Air Force prohibitions, it was not long before a lone, determined woman launched an effort to break down the barriers blocking female pilots from the ATA. Pauline Gower, a circus pilot and daughter of a British parliamentarian, was ideally suited for the job. She was well-connected and more than capable of confronting the resistance mounted by male opponents to the concept of women pilots. Necessity prevailed. Gower was hired and asked to recruit eight more women in January 1940. Eventually, 168 women out of nearly 1,500 pilots from 28 countries would fly for the ATA, 
they became known as Atta Girls, and Jay Edwards was one of them. They flew everything from Spitfires and Hurricanes to Lancasters and Fortresses. Fifteen Atta Girls died on duty, including the British pioneer Amy Johnson and several of Edwards' colleagues. Two Atta Girls were awarded commendations. Edwards joined the ATA in 1943. She said it was just the fascination of getting off the ground that attracted her to flying. You ride a bike, you climb a tree, you're off the ground, she said. I would say that's mostly it. A new outlook, a new life. At the time, in the throes of war, when everyone did their part, she didn't feel like a trailblazer. Pioneers like Batten, Johnson, American Amelia Earhart, and others had forged a path for women in aviation during the 1930s. I don't think I ever really thought of the difference between boys and girls, said Edwards. At that time, seemingly whatever you were, if you wanted to do it, you did it. I'm sure it's the same way now. They flew by the seat of their pants, usually alone using maps with no names, taking to the skies in all weather, often in planes they had never flown before and always without radio communication. They would follow roads, rivers, and railways, taking cues from the terrain below whenever they could. Edwards was based near an old Roman road known as the First Way, a landmark that ensured you could always find your way home. You went to Met, she said, referring to meteorology, when you got a ship in the morning and asked them what the weather was like. And if you'd flown the plane before, you might say, I don't like this kind of weather. Is it going to be like that? The choice of weather to fly was always theirs. There was no shortage of airfields in 1940s Britain on which they could land if the weather turned particularly sour. And the women, who drew a significant amount of attention, were always welcome. Alternatively, Edwards would give her plane a little more throttle, a little rudder, and execute a climbing turn until she emerged from a storm into clear blue sky. Technically, they were not supposed to exceed 2,000 feet and were never to fly through cloud. Cloud or no cloud, Edwards had one guiding principle. You always know the sun's up there. The ATA pilots would rarely get checked out on a new aircraft type before departure. Most often, they would strap an abbreviated manual to their thigh and learn on the fly, literally. If you'd never flown the plane before, you would ask for that extra booklet, she said. They had a booklet on every plane that we might have to fly. The check you did was to make sure the ailerons worked, the tail rudder worked, the wheel was inflated, that kind of thing. If you'd read your book, it would tell you everything you needed to know. She flew 20 different aircraft types, amassing hundreds of hours over the course of hundreds of sorties. Her favorite planes were three well-known fighters, the Hawker Hurricane, the Supermarine Spitfire, and the Bolton Paul Defiant. She flew the Ferry Barracuda, a Navy torpedo and dive bomber, and the Supermarine Seafire, the Navy version of the Spitfire. The biggest she flew were three twin-engined aircraft, the Avro Anson, the Airspeed Oxford, and an ungainly-looking biplane, the de Havilland Domini, an eight-passenger light transport she described as the most different of the lot. Many a Second World War pilot and more have waxed poetic about the Spitfire, not Edwards. Well, to be honest, they were planes, she said matter-of-factly. I looked upon them as something you were given to fly, and all planes are built to fly, whether you want to do anything to them or not. So I didn't really look upon them as being that different. Yes, you had to be a little more careful with some over others. You just made sure you knew the speeds that you needed. 
but it was just still flying. She did not have the time, inclination, or stomach for aerobatics or experimentation. Her priority was getting the planes from A to B in one piece. I never to my knowledge saw an enemy aircraft, she said. We heard them. The Atta girls were initially paid 20% less than their male counterparts. But by 1943, they had won the same pay as men of equal status in the ATA. It was the first time the British government granted equal pay for work of equal value in one of its organizations, ATA pilot Lettuce Curtis reported in her book, The Forgotten Pilots. Women flying as U.S. Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASPs, were receiving as little as 65% of the pay given their male colleagues at the time. ATA pilots had transported 309,011 aircraft by the time the war ended and the organization was disbanded. Edwards' exit debrief stated she was a better pilot than she thought she was, an assessment she says could have applied to just about anything she did in life. Post-war, she went back into childcare, accompanying a friend and her family to the South Pacific. She traveled the world, worked as a secretary in Singapore, and ended up in British Columbia, where she met her husband, had a family, and took up teaching. She did not fly again until she was in her 80s, when she took the stick of a small plane over White Rock, B.C., executing a perfect turn, emerging straight and level exactly where she wanted. In a way, she missed flying, she said, but not really because there was so much new to do. You take the opportunities that you get. She said her experience as an ATA pilot made her more independent, allowing her to find her own way, absent the influences of family and older siblings. It was just fun, she said. It was just an opportunity. I think one of the things about it, perhaps, was that I was doing something that no one in the family did. And that was the chief aim of my life, to do my own thing. You have been listening to Frontlines. I'm Stephen J. Thorne. For this and other stories, visit legionmagazine.com frontlines. For more military history, subscribe to Legion Magazine at legionmagazine.com.